Welcome to another stop on the Michaud Mission, Two Men, One Podcast, Every Black Film Ever Made. My name is Vincent Williams, and I am joined as always by... Hey, what's up, Holla, your boy? This is Len, a.k.a. the Bat Tribble. And on this stop on the mission, we will talk about a bona fide classic of American cinema and certainly black American cinema, 1933's adaptation of the Eugene O'Neill play, The Emperor Jones, starring Dudley Diggs, Frank Wilson, Freddie Wilson, and in Freddie the t- Washington. I'm sorry, Freddie Washington. And in the title role, Paul Robeson. So we will have our first conversation about Paul Robeson. Oh, indeed, we will. But before we get to that, of course, we like to thank each and every one of you who um, sends your feedback via email at mission at gmail.com and hits us up on social media on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, including in the Facebook group where in response to our review last week of Heidi Ho, Heidi, Heidi, Heidi Ho, starring Cab Calloway, Markham Lee. Hey, what's up, Markham? Reference. Hey, I looked up the Cab Calloway versus Dizzy Gillespie story. <laughs> Apparently, Cab was known to throw hands to get people to be more, quote unquote, cooperative. He a Baltimore dude. In the band. Is that what you Baltimore do? Hey, hey, hey. But Cab fires Dizzy. Dizzy Gillespie goes solo. And a year or so after this, plays a show in Philly that blows the mind of a young John Coltrane. Ah. Coltrane then plays for Dizzy after getting out of the army during World War II. Gets fired for using drugs. Okay. No hope and dope. Goes on to play for Miles Davis. Nice. Gets fired for playing, for doing drugs. Still no hope and dope. Quits cold turkey. All right. And when the ordeal was over, starts writing music and becomes, well, John Coltrane. Because there is hope in the love supreme. So imagine if Cab Calloway doesn't fire Dizzy Gillespie. Mm. John Coltrane doesn't see him play or Coltrane winds up working for another band leader who is more tolerant of drug use. Wow. So thank you, Cab Calloway. That's a what if for your For firing Dizzy Gillespie for something he didn't do. See, Cab Calloway is a legend and a maker of legends. And a maker of legends. That's right. And that's what you do. You you pay it forward. That's right. So thank you, Cab Calloway. And thank you, Markham. Yes, Markham. Thank you very much. Um, we had a lot of people chiming in on our Facebook group, sending us a bunch of uh, news items. We weren't able to get to them over the last couple of weeks. Uh, one news item actually just happened fairly recently, apparently, uh, the actor comedian Kevin Hart was yeah, uh, injured yeah. in a Malibu car crash. Yeah, I saw that. Did you read this story, Vince? I, I, I did. I, it doesn't seem like it was life threatening, but 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 it's certainly scary. And, and obviously, we send our best wishes. Yeah, apparently he Hart suffered some um, back family. injuries, um, and according to his wife, had successful 
surgery from this Calabasas car accident. Um, his wife, Eniko, told um, TMZ that he is going to be fine. Uh, it was Kevin Hart's vintage Plymouth Barracuda that was driven by uh, one Jared Black. Uh, and there was another passenger, Rebecca uh, Brokesterman, was also in the car. Uh, Jared was uh, had some some injuries and was airlifted to a medical center where it's uh, believed that he is um, surrounded by his family members. Oh my goodness! Uh, the third passenger, Rebecca, she was uh, she had some light injuries but did not require any type of hospitalization. Well. Best wishes and thoughts and prayers go out to all of them. Uh, yes, yes, most definitely. And it appears that there w- were no kind of um, alcohol or any type of um, um, pharmaceutical causes right, right, to right. this accident. So it really was just that, an accident. Right. Um, so we wish them all the best. Um, did you see, Vince, that... There is a new show that is going to be coming on, I believe, BET, the first Wives Club. I did. Starring Ms. Jill Scott. Starring my girl. Ryan and Michelle Bath and uh, Bath and Michelle Buteau. Yeah. And it's going to be streaming exclusively on BET's new Streaming yeah. service, yeah, good for BET, BET getting Plus. in the game. Yeah, do you watch the trailer at all? I I, I looked at it. Yeah, it doesn't look. It's look. It's harmless. Like it's certainly. It, it look. I wish Jill Scott all the best. See, here's the thing, though. Oh boy. No, 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 no. I love Jill Scott, Jelly from Philly, and I would that. love. You know, anything to get her back in front of the cameras and and to see her on a weekly basis. Weekly Jill Scott can't be a bad thing. Can't be a bad thing. But Uh -uh. just going off of this trailer. Yeah. This trailer is not bringing me to BET Plus. It, It would this would be difficult. I think it's just really, really, really hard right now to break in and and get people get eyes on you mm-hmm. because it, it is such a target rich environment with mm-hmm. these shows, and we're living in in the golden age of of quality television, as they say. And this looks it, it just looks very run of the mill. That it, but, but here's the thing: it's not only that it looks run of the mill. It looks run of the mill for the shows that are already on BET, VH1, and channels like that. Right, that you don't have to go on the computer. Exactly. Or, or your phone. And or your that's tablet. the thing. Yeah. To, to get you to, you know, one of these streaming services, you've got to, I mean, you've got to really be bringing it. Either you've got to have some established IP that you have moved only to there. 
Right. Case in point with Disney and moving all their Marvel, their Star Wars stuff there. Or CBS moving all their Star Star Trek Trek? and all the new Star Trek stuff there. Or you have to have, you know, a background for prestige television, i.e. HBO with their uh, and Warner and Warner with their HBO Max. Right. You know, you know, some people are like still iffy about what am I getting with that? But the HBO brand already tells you that it's going to be quality. Yeah. So you've got that going for you. I'm I'm just glad BET is doing something different. Like like the fact that they even have a digital platform and 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 they're they're dipping their toe into this realm and and they're trying something. I don't I don't see me ever watching this, but I'm glad it exists. Like I said, I, I hope the check. Well, I know the check cleared. No, I'm I'm happy that they're they're dipping their toe in there. Right. But I I. But that's exactly what this type and of show is. Not it's just for a nothing, dip in your toe. Not for nothing. BET's digital platforms initial show was always going to be something like this. It didn't have to be. No, no, it kind of had to be. Why? Because BET traditionally has not taken many chances, even with, with their original program. Well, that's true. Yeah, And certainly right. original programming on a brand new digital platform. Mm-hmm. I suspect that the bean counters and the people who actually make decisions went conservatively. So, and in their defense, I think a lot of people, when you make your initial move, you make a conservative move. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't think that the the most conservative channel out there. CBS. Star Trek Discovery was not a conservative move. No, Star Trek Discovery was a conservative move because they used a a 60-year-old IP, as you just said, Mm. that has two, three generations of built-in audience. Okay. Like, if they had made... Okay, but then they did something different with it. I mean, yeah, but again, I, I this, think this doesn't this doesn't at least appear to look okay. If they if they taken a tried and true no, format, I don't of I don't, this type of I don't show. Think CBS is is the example you want to use to argue against conservative moves. When again, uh, Star Trek, Twilight Zone. Let me tell you a story which is based on fairy tales and stuff. Like this is not avant garde. Filmmaking and and choices and and things that 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 CBS did, so I think this is right along those same lines. This is very conservative. Very let's kind of see what this landscape looks like. Okay, me and you aren't the audience. That's true. That's true. I wish it well. I do too. I do. T- I'm not surprised that it was something just like this. Like I knew it was going to be something with some women sitting around a table talking about men and they were having brunch and they're taking a chance on, on Jill Scott, you know, and, and you know, I'm sure there's either some Jill Scott music. I mean, some Mary J Blige music being played or something like, so it's going to be Jill and Erica. Right. So, Hey man, maybe some NDI rate. Right. I'm just happy Jill Scott is working. I am too. So moving moving on. Yes. 
Yay, Jill. Make that money, girl. Did you see Robert Monroe Jr.? Hey, what's up, Robert? He put a post on our Facebook group from Al Jazeera about these three Nigerian teenagers who created this film called Chase, the movie. It's a short film, a short sci-fi film that they actually did on a broke, a cracked cell phone and with their own computers teaching themselves how to do their own digital effects, special effects, um, create their own green screen. And they did it with very low electricity where they live in Nigeria. Um, Like it took the, it took the film literally two days to render because of how slow their, 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 their equipment is. I, I did not see this at all, but I'm all over this. I am all over this when I get home. It is so cool. And the story about them doing the, the uh, making this movie from Al Jazeera English already has that story already has 880,000 views. And they did some crowdsourcing to get some some bigger and better equipment so that they could um, just, you know, enhance what they've already taught themselves to do. I said maybe over a year ago, somebody sent in something with some Nollywood special effects and it was like, ah. Yeah, yeah. And I said then, keep your eye on Nigeria and on the continent of Africa. Mm-hmm. Because this, this, I think this is where the next big wave of innovative filmmakers is coming. I think we're maybe about 10 years out and we're going to see a wave of these filmmakers like we were talking about Korean filmmakers back in the early 21st century. I think it's right there. So, no, I didn't see this, but I'm all over this tonight. I'm with it. Yeah. Pixar. Hey, Pixar. They're doing their first film with a black lead. I saw that. It's called Soul. Yeah, I saw the stills. And it's going to star Jamie Foxx, Felicia Rashad. David Diggs and Philly's own Quest Love. What is it that makes you you? Ever wonder where your passion, your dreams, and your interests come from? Soul takes you on a journey from the streets of New York City to the cosmic realms to discover the answer to life's most important questions. This film is set to hit theaters in June of 2020. Oh, that's right around the corner. Yeah, and they did um, did like a, a short little uh clip thing of it at uh Disney's most recent um D23 yeah uh convention. Yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to this. I am looking forward yeah, to I'm it. I'm looking as forward well. to this. Yeah. That sounds real cool. Um it's funny, you know, uh that's going to be starring Jamie Foxx. And again, I told you about the rabbit hole that I went down um a couple of weeks ago with comedians and cars drinking coffee. Yes. And I watched Jerry Seinfeld sit down with Jamie Foxx. Oh, okay. And they had a they had a cool conversation. Okay. Um, like I, I I'm a Jamie Foxx fan. I'm not okay. gonna say like I'm I'm the world's greatest Jamie Foxx, but I'm definitely a fan of his. Sure. What I appreciated about his interview with J- with Jerry Seinfeld was that he came across as a dude that is very comfortable in his own skin. 
Okay. Knows who he is, doesn't try to put on any airs about being, you know, somebody that he's not. Right. Um, and I really appreciated that about him. And and their episode is a very short episode. I mean, it's I don't think it's 20 minutes. Right, right. Um, but it was like really just spot on real cool. And it made me come away liking Jamie Foxx all the more. Yeah, yeah. I like, I think Jamie Foxx is amazingly talented. So do I. I'm actually, in my mind, I'm waiting for Jamie Foxx to get even older. Like like he's already 40. But I'm waiting for Jamie Foxx. Like I feel like Jamie Foxx is so talented that it isn't completely seasoned all the way through. You don't think so? I think he, I think, I think he's made some choices I wouldn't have made. Okay. You know, but I think Everybody part of that does. But I think part of that is I'm so talented, I can do so many things that I have so much to choose from. Mm-hmm. And there's been almost a 10-year period where he was just sort of scooping stuff up. Okay. I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll do this, okay. I'll do that, okay. I'll do this. And I'm like I'm waiting for him to hit that that period where he's more discerning. I think he may have gotten there. I well, mean, I hope he's, so. he's, he's more than a few years um, past Ray. Right. So, like, that gobbling up everything yeah. phase is kind of played out. Um, I think I think he's at that phase now. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm look, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, yeah. Uh, Markham Lee also wrote us and said, in regards to the conversation that we had about Jerry Seinfeld. Yes. He said, I feel the same way about Jerry Seinfeld that Vince feels about Ricky Gervais. Oh. Multiplied by about 10. Oh. One. His stand-up, Jerry Seinfeld, isn't funny. Oh. The bits at the beginning of the show in the early seasons were terrible. Okay. Two. If it wasn't for the show, he wouldn't be in the conversation of great stand-ups. Thing is, he didn't write the show Larry David did and the other actors carried it other great comedians are in the conversation of well great comedians based on their stand-up if it weren't for the show he'd just be a journeyman stand-up few had heard of he's coasting off of the show being named after him and people thinking he was the reason it was funny he's coasting more than ricky because at least ricky wrote the office and practically every sitcom is filmed like it now talk about eddie chris Dave, George Carlin, and others, and people will name great stand-up moments they've seen live or in specials. Seinfeld, name one. I'll wait. I can't name anything, but I disagree. I I wholeheartedly disagree. I, I like Jerry Seinfeld's comedy. I think Jerry Seinfeld is a great craftsman. Like, I like the way he puts together mm-hmm. jokes. And... I might say that's part of the reason you can't point to a particular joke. That's right. Because the craft is so it's it's almost seamless. Mm-hmm. I think that I think that whole observational joke cliche. You ever notice? Like I think he was the master of that. Right. But he was really really good at it. I think the other thing about Jerry Seinfeld, and I, I will grant this to Markham, I think he does come out of that Borscht Belt tradition. Like he's like maybe second, third, two, three generations away from that. 
Mm-hmm. And I, I I can see how that's not everybody's cup of tea. Hmm. Okay. But oh yeah, like like if Jerry Seinfeld was twenty years older, he'd have been in the Catskills every summer. El Blanco McFly. Wait, wait. Are we finished talking about Jerry Seinfeld? No. Oh, who's El Blanco McFly? I'm, oh, oh, okay. All right. El Blanco McFly. Because I had a me. I was I was leading into an apology to you. So go ahead. El Blanco McFly. But stay here says, uh, in regards to Markham's comments, I agree. He says the most obvious of ish that we all think about but rarely say then uses an inflection in his voice to make it sound funny and people bite. Um, But Catrice Greer, oh, I love me some Catrice. Yeah. I'm going to break this down. She says, that's an interesting take on it. For me, I really enjoy his humor. It's dry, witty, intellectual humor. The whole point is that the mundane can be noteworthy, funny, or interesting. This type of humor is referred to as observational humor. He talks about everyday stuff with a sly wryness. I love his sarcasm, his sardonic tone, his arrogance, his curmudgeon, I like to love potential. I appreciate your point of view, interesting points, but for me, he is a win. I like his work a great deal. His brain churns one hundred miles per minute i don't think it is easy to do what he does and make it appear so effortless he is a master at making this comment seem so easy to comment on for laughs he may not have written the show seinfeld but i don't begrudge him the fact that his popularity caught on and people enjoy what he offers different strokes for different folks by the way seinfeld and larry david both developed produced for the show Seinfeld produced 124 episodes and executive produced 44 episodes of that show although he wasn't the main writer Jerry Seinfeld did contribute some writing for 17 episodes of the Seinfeld show that level of involvement is a big deal nothing to sneeze at yeah what what, what do you what do you guys say about Jerry Seinfeld I myself uh, agree with Rojo, who wrote that I enjoy his work, both the Seinfeld show and comedians and cards getting coffee. He's not a jokester, but he is smart and amusing. Are there better stand-ups? Yeah. But he also knows his brand and how to create material that showcases it in the right way. I agree with you to a degree that he's probably two, three generations removed from like those Borscht Belt Catskill guys. And that's where he's got that you he definitely is the um descendant of their shtick and their style of comedy, mm-hmm. right? However, I think that he has grown to become more or less a master of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 if you don't want to say that he is the master of it, sure. You know, um, perhaps perhaps he isn't, but I think that he is the the way he crafts a joke and gets it over is you know something that all comedians admire yeah and even the comedians that you know Markham and other people are, are name checking on this long list of comments you know Chris Rock and and um uh, uh Dave Chappelle Eddie Murphy and and, and even and even yeah, Eddie, Eddie Murphy, Murphy as, as he said it in, yeah. in, in his interview um. So, you know, I I, I got to give the man props. I also give him props like Catrice did because I know that while he developed 
the show with Larry David. Larry David left the show after four seasons. Mm-hmm. The show was on for nine seasons. Right. So Jerry was the the driving force of that show after that. And and it was after that that the show continued its rise in um in 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 the ratings and into the the zeitgeist of the culture and maintained it. Yeah. And it is because of that sustained nine years with Larry at the helm, with Jerry at the helm, that that show, what, it's probably been gone 10 years already. Yeah. It's still yeah. out there, still popular. It's out there. It's popular. It's still it holds funny. up. It does. I mean, it is a specific type of humor, though. Yes, it is. And, it is. And, and I, I never dismiss criticism of Seinfeld, the show, mm-hmm. and through extension, Seinfeld, the comedian. And that's part of the reason I wanted to locate him in this tradition, because I do think you have these traditions of entertainment. That's like, I don't like that. Right. Like, it's some stuff I like, it's some stuff it's I don't like. don't like. Right. And that, that that again, like you said, that Borscht you the, the Catskills, like that whole generation of humor Mm -hmm. i think that is a particularized type of humor Mm -hmm. and either you you like it or you don't yep having said that what we didn't say on the air is that the ricky gervais comment came out of a conversation we were having before we started taping right because i had started to watch fleabag Yes. My my family was out of town. I was in the house. And, you know, what else are you going to do when you're in the house by yourself but eat a cheesesteak, play video games, and <laughs> watch the critical darling that everyone has talked about? <laughs> and when I came over to tape, I had watched five episodes of right, the first last week. season. And they're good. Mm-hmm. Like, they are good. This is good television. But as I was saying to you, and I alluded to on, on the mic, I thought this was some more you know frankly these critics these white critics see this stuff and oh, oh, oh the british oh, and then i said and i popped all kinds of yes, smack here on and then <laughs> i went home mm-hmm. after we taped right watch the season finale of the first of season. the first season which is amazing Mm-hmm. And I and 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 Lynn, you, I, I, I text you, yep. and I said, I said, oh, well, they nailed. <laughs> okay, all right, they nailed the land in the first season, right? And then let me just go ahead and watch, and and look. Then you watch the second season. I give credit where credit is due. The first season, the first episode of the second season, is one of the best plays I've seen in I don't know how long. Mm-hmm. And that entire second season is is remarkable. Like this was remarkable. So, folks, they got this one right. <laughs> as far as Thank I'm you. concerned. Thank you. You know, solid first season, great season finale. But that second season, yeah, man, is remarkable. Yeah. Told you. So everything, I'm you, I'm a believer. I'm a flea bag reliever, and and I I liked it so much that speaking of of quality TV slipping through the cracks and 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 not 
following up on things. I think I've seen an episode and a half of Killing Eve, mm-hmm. which uh, and now I just, what, Phoebe, Phoebe Waller Walter, Bridge. Yeah, yeah, Phoebe Waller Bridge has created that too. But now that is on my very short list where I'm going to go ahead and watch Killing Eve. So, yeah. Ricky Gervais, I don't really got nothing for though. But that Phoebe Waller Bridges is the truth. She's the truth, man. She's the truth. She's the truth. I'm telling you, Fleabag is just something. And and ugh. and lady and ladies and gentlemen, do yourself a favor. Watch both seasons. I, I think there may be eight episodes no, apiece. No, it's six episodes. That's right, six episodes, and they're a half hour. Yes. So you're talking about a commitment of of what? A little over three a hours. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Ex- exactly. Exactly. So, and I'm telling you, you will not be disappointed. Yeah. You will not. It is, it, and it's funny. It's heartfelt. The act, oh my God. The acting, all of the acting, oh, the talk about ensemble cast. God. But you got that Ricky Gervais. Look, I said I like the dude. All right. I'm not putting him all on right. on so, Mount Everest. So, all right. So, I was yelling at you about Fleabag. That's you can't my just bag. have You just can't give me the apology. I'm giving you the no, apology. No, you're not. You're yelling at me about I Ricky Gervais again. <laughs> you were right, and I was wrong. Period. Thank you. That, that, that'll be a perfect bumper. There you go. <laughs> It's exactly what we want to use to promote this show. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> well, nothing left to say except to get into our review <laughs> of the Emperor Jones. All right. <laughs> we'll be right back with our movie review after we step to these messages. Smithers, you wait. I want to confer with you. Well, blind me if you ain't pulled it off. You have got a nerve. Nerve and brain. I calls it stinking luck having that nigger miss you twice at ten feet. Pick up that gun. Break it. Blanks. Blimey, I'll... You remember when Quacko got drunk in town last night and I takes care of his gun while he sleeps it off? Well, that's what I call brains. This place smells more like a chain gang dumped in a pallet. Say, Smithers, how you likes the contract of doing this dump over? Now you're talking. And don't make the mistake of thinking you're dealing any ignorant bushnigger. I gives you an audience tomorrow. And bring along them fashion sheets that I gets last summer. And then I want some mirrors, plenty of them. And remember, Smithers, red's my color. I always had a special taste for red. Mr. President. Now, King Brutus. Now, somehow that don't make enough noise. Smithers, cigarette.
Light. Smithers, you have just had an audience with the Emperor Jones. The Emperor Jones, a 1933 adaptation of the Eugene O'Neill play of the same name. The plot is a black congregation once they, they pray for the wily and ambitious Brutus Jones, who is off to work on the railway as a Pullman porter. Jones is conscripted to a chain gang after killing a gambler and escapes by clubbing a guard. On the run, he gets a job shoveling coal on a ship in the Caribbean and jumps off when they pass an island. When he is captured by the natives, his freedom is bought by a white trader. Jones tricks the tribe and becomes emperor and is outrun by his own magic. Directed by Dudley Murphy, starring Dudley Diggs as the traitor Smithers, Frank Wilson as his rival and gambler Jeff, and Freddie Washington as Undine. The Emperor Jones also stars Paul Robeson in the title role of Brutus Jones. This was the choice of Lynn Webb. And what do you have to say about 1933's The Emperor Jones? I'm going to get this off uh, out of the way from the top. It is a shame bordering on criminal that this film, 1933's The Emperor Jones, which I watched on YouTube, is a better looking film than 1947's Heidi Ho. That was the first thing that hit me when I was watching this movie. There's some money in this movie. There's money, there is in, money this in this movie. movie. Yeah, oh yeah. It's a good looking movie. It's a very good looking f- film. Um, and it is also a film that, you know, once you find the behind the story of it, stands out all the more because of the way that it was made. Mm-hmm. First, that, you know, is based on Eugene O'Neill's um, play of the same name, Eugene O'Neill, was a famed playwright in in the early part of the of the twentieth century. Um, and this this adaptation comes after the Emperor Jones had had multiple runs on the stage across the country mm-hmm. and even overseas of for a bit. Um, but Eugene O'Neill. A, a man known for, you know, having some radical ways of thinking. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, this movie is made in 1933 after the movie industry has started their migration towards Hollywood and, you know, being centered in California. But this film is made in the abandoned studios that were built in New York, mm. uh, particularly in Astoria, New York. So it, 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 and by virtue of it being done so, it's made kind of like, you know, uh, uh, under, you know, under the the, the, the cloak of, of secrecy. Yeah. People oh, really yeah. don't know what's, what's happening on this film, you know. Uh, it's a film that is, 
you know, just like the play, based on a black man rising up to what in in the african-american world of that day was middle class as a pullman porter yes sir on a train that's a good job that's a good job that means that you were on the trains that's right you were shining shoes making big tips making big tips you're bringing people their papers their lunches their meals and stuff like that but you're making money yes sir so much so that the church has gathered around yeah. to celebrate yeah. Brutus Jones getting this job. Oh, yeah. You know? And this movie tells the story of this Pullman Porter making his way through trials and tribulations aplenty yeah. to eventually say what you want, become his own man. Yes, sir. Become truly the emperor of an island yeah oh yeah this is 1933 Mm -hmm. this is you know there are movies and 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 books about the life of the black man at this time under the boot of the white man here in america yeah but also in 1933 america is steeped in the depression Mm. people are like scraping for nickels and pennies not even pennies pennies and 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 more pennies yes you know what i mean there there are people jumping out of windows yeah and i i believe in 1933 we're on the if we're I believe, are we on the brink of World War One, or we're just out of World War One? No, no, no. We're out of World War One. We're it's but World War Two things of yeah, things are simmering, simmering over yeah. overseas. Yeah, Hitler's a dickhead in thirty three, right? Yeah. So well, people are listening. The world is the world is topsy turvy, and yet this film dares to show this this black man yeah. rising to become an emperor. This film dares to show this black man talking back to white people yeah this film dares to show this black man uh um showing any form of intellect and thoughtfulness yeah boy and and craftiness yeah oh yeah you know um this man is showing not only to have you know his own self you know his own dignity and you know wearing it very high on his shoulders maybe a little bit too high we'll get into that a little bit later (laughs) but he's got he's like he's got his dignity out there and nobody's going to knock this off my shoulder so much so that i'm going to knock your dignity off black white man you can't reach his shoulder no you can't no you cannot that's what this film in 1933 dares to show this 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 film shows a black man proud to be walking across the screen without his shirt on full blaze in all his all his 
majesty. Now, some people might say that this might, you know, you know, begin like the 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 uh, sexualization of sure. the black of the black form. Sure, maybe it is. All I know, this man is proudly wearing, not wearing a shirt, and there is no, you know, white female gaze upon it. And there's so much nobility that they, it's hard to reduce this to just a, a, a sexualized brute. Exactly, but but that is still that still is striking. Yeah, in 1933. Yeah, we're not oh, talking yeah. 1947. Yeah, we're talking 1933, and that is brought all the more to the front when all of this is put on the shoulders of Paul Robeson. Mm. who is legitimately, in 1933, America's foremost black man. I'm not even going to just say black entertainer. He is your foremost black man. He is a man who has uh, graduated from two colleges, has a bachelor's of law, has been a star on the stage and on records he is he his music his songs are played throughout the country he's an athlete he is at a world renowned athlete who is only not until 80 years later that does he get his due yeah. and enter into the college hall of fame he is um a man that can walk into any room in any state in any city and on any country at this time and heads will turn and they will listen to him why because that is exactly how he staunchly lives his life oh yeah exactly what you see on that screen as emperor jones is you know a very conflicted and complicated character (laughs) but the dignity and you said it nobility that he shows when he's either in his Pullman Pullman suit or when he is even in uh, the, uh, prison stripes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All the way to when he can't help but to keep looking at himself as he is dressed in the plumage of an emperor. Yeah. Oh, yeah. As he walks from mirror to mirror, mirror to, to mirror. Put up some mirrors in here. <laughs> you, it's, it's all right there. This man is just magnetic yeah. on screen. Oh, yeah. You cannot take your eyes off him. And, be, and because of that, when he is asked in by the script to talk with a bit of a quote unquote black affect mm-hmm. and put in some dems and d's and doses mm-hmm. you know into his speech pattern early in the film it almost doesn't feel right coming off of his lips right but as the film goes on and as he makes his way through life, that effect slowly, slowly slips away. And you realize it didn't 
fit his lips because that's not who the Emperor Jones is. The Emperor Jones is actually a little bit more than that. Right. He's a lot. He's a he's a lot more intelligent than that. He just hadn't had the opportunity to show it, and now having given the opportunity to show it, he's learning, taking these life lessons because everything is a life lesson. Yeah. They're hard lessons learned from. Being a Pullman, uh, Pullman porter to then get into the street life to then to getting arrested and being in prison, escaping prison <laughs> and escapes prison under of other under a shower of rocks. No, just dump them on me. I'm like, what? <laughs> Who just has dumped the rocks on me? Paul Robeson. As Brutus Jones. As Brutus Jones. Well, if your name's Brutus Jones, yeah. I guess you could take a couple of rocks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and I guess if your chest is about 20 inches oh, thick my. like his does, oh, looks like it is. Hurley burly. He's a hurly burly man. Buckle buckle, my man. <laughs> he is, dude. <laughs> uh, I mean, I was sitting there. I, I'm only, I'm kind of upset because I don't usually watch our films twice. I'll watch them once, make a couple of notes, and right. I'm usually good to go. I really wanted to watch this film a second time. I didn't oh, have yeah. the opportunity to. Yeah. Because I was, I was like really stunned by just the craftsmanship of his acting. And, yeah, yeah. And then yeah. the craftsmanship of the film of itself. The film itself. Like the, there That's is, right. there is storytelling elements in this film that are unheard of in even the third this is 1933 ladies and gentlemen this is almost six, this is six years before the wizard of oz this is 1933 and there are moments in this film where the camera takes you um in, into the jungles uh there are moments in, this I, I i'll tell you, I, I, here it is this film, and now I'm just talking about the craftsmanship of its movie making. And I'm not going to say like they, they, you know, remade movie making, but this film was almost as innovative in its storytelling and, and in its direction as Citizen Kane is to me i'm not saying it's no 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 but like there's a scene like later in the film where him where paul rose and brutus jones and smithers they're hearing these drums beat off in the distance and these are drums that are signaling the end of brutus jones and brutus more or less just says well i'm out of here and they go through a series of doors and the way that it is shot they go through one door they stand there and then your camera follows them as they walk to the other door and they go there and they and, and they walk through and they go through the other door which leads them to the outside and when they go through the other door the camera cuts to the outside looking at them come through and the magic the magic of movie making is that when that camera cuts to the other side and they come through that door, the shadow, their shadow is cast back against the wall, just as the sun would cast their, their shadow up against the back against that wall. And they're looking up in towards the sun because they're looking to where the drum beats are coming from. And the drum beats are you can hear them actually coming from that exact angle that the camera, that the shadows are cast 
against that wall as they uh, continue their talk and the, and, the, and the camera is at a perfect point where it just, you can take in all of that, you know, storytelling right there. And I said, wow, that was just a, that's a great shot. There are movies in, in 2019 that don't know how to deliver that shot. I think there are scenes like that throughout this film, though. I, I think Dudley Murphy was the most pleasant surprise for me. Yes. Watching in the his director. direction. And when you look him up and he was born to these these great modernist painters and mm-hmm. you look at his career and the language that he utilized in making films. The very first shot or the very first scene in the film, when the film comes on and they have some natives yes. playing some drums and then it transitions seamlessly into, into the, the church. church that you just mentioned that was that that was that was getting ready to send Brutus Jones off and then you realize at the end that that was foreshadowing right when they first um introduce when they first introduce who becomes his his rival Jeff yeah and they they shoot Jeff and and they show Jeff kind of shining shoes because Jeff is also a Pullman porter. Yes, yes. And then it transitions to Jeff bringing him into the New York nightlife and Jeff has is, is shot very sinister like. The very first time that they shoot that you see Freddie Washington and this is something that would that would become part of noir's language and the shadow mm-hmm. that cuts across her face mm-hmm. to let you know that she's part of the femme fatale tradition. The capturing of the gambling yeah. when when Joan, when Bru- when Brutus Jones eventually murders Jeff. And then my favorite shot in the entire film that I was trying to figure out how I like I need to get a t-shirt with it when 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 he becomes Emperor Jones and, and, a, and a, a certain amount of years have passed and he set up this entire court. Oh, yeah. And and there's a scene where where members of the court come in and basically pay homage to him and they kneel to him. And the scene cuts back and forth between people, uh, you, you know, genuflecting and, 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 and sort of, you know, nodding to him and all. And then they show a shot of him on his throne. Mm-hmm. That shot from below and the throne, and he's kind of sitting to the side. So you see the throne behind him, and it looks almost like a sun. Yep. And it is a magnificent shot of Paul Robeson, mm-hmm. who, as you've said, no one else could have played this role but Paul Robeson. You you kept saying intelligence. Which is true, but what I got is how crafty he was. Well, yeah, yeah, like he really was almost this evil genius. Like I have to say, the nerd part of me, like I was thinking about, you know, like the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, <laughs> and how you know Alan Moore brings together all of these characters, and Moriarty, who was Sherlock Holmes's arch enemy, mm-hmm. ends up being the big bad. And I was thinking, the Emperor Jones could have been the big bad. He could have. Because he's so smart. Yeah. And he's so crafty. And the way I interpreted the discomfort in his mouth with the black D's and does is that he never talked like that. Like, that's just what he had to do to be in this world. And then as he moves along, he just, 
he he just figures out how to navigate whatever space he's in. Okay, all right. So, well, he, he definitely can read a room. When he definitely can read a room because, like you said, when he, I think there's maybe thirty seconds where he's the wide-eyed country boy mm-hmm. in the street life, and then he is he, he is the master of that world. Yeah, because he's the wide-eyed country boy, like you said, for thirty seconds, and then it cuts to. He's wide-eyed country boy where Jeff brings him to the nightlife, right? Introduces him yeah, to sh- Jeff's girl, to Jeff's girl, who Jeff catches kissing on somebody else, right? So then Jeff introduces, you know, in like you know, punches dude, gets throws dude out, right? Now here, here here's my lady, Udine. Brutus um, meets Udine, and then Jeff says, "Go ahead, dance with my dance with my boy. Go dance with him." Cut to next scene. He's huddled up with Eudine. Eudine. Talking about, like, like, why don't you just get rid of Jeff? And the thing that I love is that Eudine starts getting mouthy because Eudine thinks she's slicker than Mm -hmm. him. And he cuts her off. Yes, he does. Throughout this film, this is somebody who is never outsmarted, who's never overwhelmed, who, like you said, reads the room. Even at the end when the jig is up and, and the natives are no longer falling. Like, he makes a decision in a moment. That's true. Well, let me take this off. Move on to the next thing. Paul Robeson is 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 absolutely magnetic. Yes. In this thing. I mean, his physical stature, yes. But his charisma and the intelligence and 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 his 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 presence. Yes. Yeah. You, you know, you mentioned before there's a moment when he becomes the Emperor Jones and he says, you know, put the mares up and he can't stay out the mares. And I don't blame him mm-hmm. because we can't keep our eyes off of him and everything that's there. The money in this film, I, I, I think you're absolutely right. Like the very first thing that you notice, even before you get to Robeson, is how well this film is supported Mm -hmm. there are outside scenes the the costuming is exquisite yes there there the 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 film quality itself Mm -hmm. like you said even on youtube well the film the film has been um remastered remastered And was uh, recently, by the, in 1999, was deemed culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant by the United States Library of Congress and selected for preservation by the National Film Registry. So even though it has fallen into uh, public domain, it has been... It has been cleaned up. Cleaned yeah, up. absolutely. And Paul Robeson, obviously, is the big draw to this oh film, yeah obviously but this is a really nice cast oh it is this is a really nice cast i love freddie washington i think I, i'm trying to remember have we talked about her yeah i feel like oh, she's yeah. popped up in something she was in she was in um uh well of course after this she goes on to be in imitation of life that's right but in imitation of life you you don't see, she's there but she's not there right right this is Freddie Washington in this film. Yeah, it is. Even she's though, fantastic. Even though they darkened her up. Even though they darkened her up, but she's still like she is charming and she also has presence. I love Frank Wilson as yeah. Jeff. Yeah. I love Frank Wilson as Jeff. I thought he was a great foil mm-hmm. for Paul Robeson. And Dudley Diggs as Smithers. 
Yeah. Just this kind of snivelly presence, which to your point, it is really radical imagery to see this noble statuesque cut of a black man next to this sniveling image of a white man. Yeah. Like just that image mm-hmm. is pretty radical in 1933. I would offer you don't see it that much in 2019. No, you do not. And this white man who has been basically making his bones getting over on this country because he's right. a long he's a sole Caucasian on this country in uh, in this country and has been getting over on them. Yeah. And figures he's going to do the same thing with Brutus Jones when he comes walks into his life. But no, Brutus shows him a thing or two, so much so that he basically forces dude to take him on as a partner. It is, it is, it is. But but again, I think the film and the script, and, and this is one way the film differs from the play. Mm-hmm. Because the film does delve into his background more. Right, right. And from the moment he puts on that Pullman Porter outfit and he tells his girl, you know, gives his girl the money back at home. And his she girl says, Dolly. And, and Dolly basically says, it's like you're saying, she basically says, it's like you're saying goodbye to me because you're giving me the money. And he's like, oh, no. And then go buy yourself something. I've always been partial to red. But there is an uninterrupted character development oh yeah of this i like i really just loved this character Mm -hmm. and and it's so that when you get to the point where again 1933 folks this black man muscles his way into this white man's business it makes complete sense. Like, understand, I don't have the Jackie, the Jack Johnson stuff in front of me at this moment. But Jack Johnson would the whole thing about Jack Johnson was that the boxer Jack Johnson, the boxer Jack Johnson was that no one believed that a black man could beat a white man mm-hmm. in a fight. That's right. So the fact that he did that was just sort of radical thing. Mm-hmm. In a couple of years, Jesse Owens is going to shake the world. Yeah. Because he has the audacity to beat a white man physically. Yeah. That's just, that's the other radical thing about this is before Jesse Owens. So when you when you place it in that tradition where where physical superiority is is going to turn everything upside down. Mm-hmm. Here you have Brutus Jones who is smarter and wilier and craftier than everybody else and it's insane yeah it's ap- it's absolutely insane and yet like you said it makes so much sense there's a scene where he is the Pullman car and he's got and he and he tells Eudine the Freddie Washington character um that he's been promoted I'm going to be on the president's car now Right. And she's like, oh, well, Jeff told me about that. You don't get any tips on that. And it's like, yeah, yeah. As we worried about those kind of tips. No, 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 no. I know what I know what to do here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know what to do here. And you cut to him on the president's car. And what he's what's he's doing? Just ear hustling. Yeah. Ear hustling. And then just play, playing his way like, hey, hey, uh. Hey, boss. And then he works the president. Works the president 
and gets in on a big deal. And gets a better job. Gets a better job. All of a sudden, he's got a tuxedo. The whole deal. He's flossing the money around. The other thing I loved about this movie is that it really took you, like, you felt, as, as much as it is, because a lot of it is, you know, like you said, it is. there is some location filming. Like, they went to a beach for a couple of the scenes. Right. But a lot of it is on a soundstage. Mm-hmm. But these these the budget was such that they didn't skimp on it so you still felt a sense of place when you were in these yes in wherever you were supposed to be case in point um when he does go to kind of like um the one when he goes goes to the to the juke joint for like dancing and stuff. Yeah, oh yeah. It actually feels it like feel, a club. It feels like a an it actual, actual club. It feels like a yes, club. Yes, it does. You know, versus 1947 Heidi Ho, which is basically a stage and a platform. Yeah. You know, no, you actually feel like you're in a lived-in place. You can actually feel the energy yeah. of what of what's going on in there. When they go, when him and Jeff walk into the back room, you feel like they're actually going into a back room. Oh, you know, yeah. They've crossed this this club, and then the other scene that I felt felt really really and I could almost smell it was then he when he then goes to like the little speakeasy gambling joint um yeah and that just like just just came alive well the floor I couldn't take my eyes off the there floor. you go there you go it was like a a, a, a concrete or like it looked like it was a speakeasy yes like it felt like of a, a space that had been turned into, into this little speakeasy. which is what we did which is what a speakeasy was exactly and i felt that was just especially and then there's like this really cool overhead shot so you can see like you know there's dimension here there's yeah. the bar oh, there's yeah. people here there's the the pool table and it just felt so i mean it felt so lived in this this and, and when he goes, when he is the Emperor Jones and he is in his throne room and it is actually a nice, a big, it's, expansive it's space. Ornate. Yes. It big. It, yes. I mean, the sense of space and place in this film is just really, really amazing. And then I just, I'm sorry, I keep saying it, but this was 1933. Hey, the scene, they weren't making movies like this, look, were they? The scene that I was talking about where the people all come in. And and they bow to him and this, that, and the other. By my count, you have Paul Robeson's emperor costume. Mm-hmm. By my count, you had 10 extras that had on ornate costumes. Yes. Yes. Where I was thinking, is this where they got the imagery in coming to America from? Mm-hmm. Because that's the only other time I can think of that many black people. At one time, in this ornate, almost European styled costuming, yeah, like this, yeah. The other thing I liked about this movie is that, which to finish the thought, somebody had to pay for them costumes, right, right, right. And United Artists, who put up the money for this for this movie, I think the budget was like two hundred and yeah, two hundred sixty three thousand dollars, yeah. Um, which at that time, I ladies mean, and gentlemen, a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Yeah, it's a lot of money. Um. Uh. Oh man, well, just I, the, there was a, the, the other thing that I liked about this movie. We talked about Paul Rosen speaking with a quote-unquote black affect in this movie, and 
there's a there's a bit of that from all of the characters sure. in this film. But what I appreciated, and I think this is what resonated with Paul Robeson and gave him leave to do this film, because like we said, this was a play that it made it made money and it was, oh, yeah. a, it was a hit as a play. And there was an actor who was noted for um, being in this stage production yeah. of this who was, uh, oh man, I just lost his name. Uh, it was a Charles, Charles Brathorn uh, Byrne, I believe. Um, uh, I I, I want to do the man justice. I want to do I want to do him justice and get his get his name correct. So bear with me one moment, ladies and gentlemen, as I check this, and it was here we go. Charles Gilpin, excuse me. Charles Gilpin was, you know, the actor who was known, made his bones doing this, doing this role. But he had some objection yeah. to some of the language, specifically the, the very liberal use of the word nigger. Yes. In the, right. in the script. And as he started doing that, doing the role more and more across the country, he started sliding in the word Negro. And so yeah. did other people in the cast. He started putting that in there a little bit more. So when it came time to adapt it to the screen, um, well, actually, even before then, Eugene O'Neill had kind of like said, Charles, I love what you're doing, but I think we're going to have to go another way. And that's when he brings Paul Robeson right. to play it on stage. And Eugene O'Neill's argument was he was a sailor and he right. worked this is, and and he was like this is actually the way people talk. This was the language, right? Right. You know, and then, and uh, and mind you, you know, if if I remember correctly, you'll correct me if I'm wrong. It's the black people that are using the word. Yes, and you well, don't. Yes, cause, yes, because that's, that's the point. You don't, that's the point. You don't right. see any of the that's, white people the using point, that exactly. word in there. And the reason why Paul Robeson w- was okay with it because. He recognized that that is our language, and certainly in this in in this dem- demographic, right, right. Like these these are sailors and gamblers and yes, hustlers and the but, underworld, if you will. It, it is, but even though they're using that language, they're not using that language for sake of their intelligence, right? The, each. At each character is still, you know, uh, portrayed at the height of their intelligence. Yeah. This is just the, you know, patois of the, where they are, where yeah. they live, oh, yeah, absolutely. Their, their culture. And for that, that just made the movie ring that more, more true Yeah, um, for Paul Rope, Paul Robeson and the people that were starring in the film. And I, I actually did like that i did take note of that from the film well it doesn't feel exploitive right you know it, it feels it it, it it feels authentic and and that is a testament to eugene o'neill's play and obviously a testament to the performers mm-hmm. in this film yeah so i i mean i like that i liked freddie washington i also liked that this was decidedly and unapologetically told from Brutus Jones' point of view. 
Oh, yeah. And that you see, you know, because you talked about him having his girlfriend, Dolly, and it's basically like he's saying goodbye to her. Well, he she doesn't return until he needs her to get him out of the shackles. Look. After he escapes from prison. One of the things I like about this, Brutus Jones is not a good man. No, he's not. He has the, a nobility of bearing. Mm-hmm. But he is not a good man at all. Not at all. And you want to talk about unapologetic. This is one of the most unapologetic depictions of 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 an a black anti-hero, if is you will. Is he maybe really, like the first anti-hero? He, he may be the first black one. Yeah. And it is unapologetic. This is not uh th- this is not pardon the pun, a mindless brute. Mm-hmm. But then this is also not some nobler than thou, not Uncle Tom like the way we use it, but Uncle Tom, the actual character from Uncle Tom's cabin. Right. You know, this impossibly noble simpleton Mm -hmm. who is closer to God because he's a simple man. This this is this is a man with his own agenda and 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 there's nothing good about it. And I loved it. Yeah. I loved every part of this film. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Uh, and and I believe that, you know, over time, like, there's a scene where he breaks out of the prison and he actually does kill a white guy. He kills a white guard. Yes. Um, and I don't know about in the version that you saw, but in the version I saw, you know, you see him go to strike the, the white guy, but then it cuts. Yeah. It jump cuts. And that was a scene that was edited out years ago. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, you want to give us any ideas. Right, 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 right. Um, uh, And in the restoration, I think it's one of the scenes that either they just couldn't find to restore or not. I don't recall what I don't I don't think it was in the version I saw. Okay, okay. Um, But not for nothing. I like the fact that he was locked up for a crime he actually committed. That's what I like as well. This is not someone who who's been railroaded or anything. This this is this is not a good person. No, he's not a good person. Yeah. He's locked up because he killed a guy, whether regardless of whether or not you feel like the guy deserved to die or not. Well he didn't deserve to die. But I mean but in his defense it was self defense. Right. And also in his defense, if you're gonna fight Paul Robeson, you probably should bring a knife. Though you probably should bring a gun, bring a gun because yeah. a knife you gotta get a little bit too right. close. Well, obviously, <laughs> Fred's first mistake was he got close enough for Paul Robeson to grab him, right? Right, it's like, oh, yeah, dog, you, yeah, that's it. You might as well go ahead and say goodbye to everybody. And it was a little knife, like, it, was, it, was, it was, it's it's the knife Dizzy Gillespie used to stab <laughs> Cap Calloway. That's a Cab Calloway stabbing knife. You need a Paul Robeson size knife. Mm-mm. Nah. <laughs> Paul Robeson. Paul Robeson size knife. I think it's called a sword. <laughs> I think it's called a machete. Yeah. Um. Oh man, there's. I mean, what can you say? Uh, the shame of the shame is that the movie is in public domain. Yeah. Yeah. But the beauty of it is that it's part of the Criterion Collection. I was about to say, I was just about to say, there are actually great packaging packages of this. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so you can see this. And and Paul Robeson, who, who is a man who would um, go on to be a very controversial figure throughout yeah. the rest of his life. He's a man that would, um, you know, had... He wasn't a communist, but he was sentimental. He was a little red, as they say. Yeah, he you know, what I'm saying red. he was sentimental to the, the communist way, socialist way of right. thinking. Which, if you're a black man in the early part of 20, 20th century, how were you not? Yeah, anything but this, right? You know what I mean? Um, but that unfortunately led him to be blacklisted. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, in the forties and the fifties, which. Yeah. Which really put a like really put the kibosh on his on his film career when yeah. you think about it. Yeah. Um he would then basically move into the civil rights space yeah. for for a time. And even then he um as his health started deteriorating a little bit more and more was only really you know seen here and there yeah um, before he eventually settled here in philadelphia yeah, oh, yeah. um for in, in the later part of the 60s and where he lived until i think 1976 i think he died in 76 yeah yeah, yeah. um there actually is a mural to paul robeson that is painted it's a great mural it's a great mural. it's actually a great mural yeah here uh in uh city of philadelphia in west philadelphia um, in honoring this great man um, who I don't think time has forgotten. I'm not sure if the latter part of the 20th century and 21st century has given him his due. You know what? I'm going to say it. I feel like there are still reverberations from those actors and creatives that were blacklisted. I think oh, it's yeah. a lot of them who No, I mean even now like when they do stuff on the Oscars and we talk okay. about the masters and we talk about legacies, I think there are a fair number of those creators who still aren't getting their due. Okay, okay. From that. I can't remember the the, the guy's name off the top of my head, but the director of Uptight, we've talked about. Oh. Like we've run into a couple just mm-hmm. here on this show. That's true. Where you you see their work and you're like, why don't people talk about them like they do Cecil DeMille or or Orson Welles or, you know, these other people? And Uh, that director was uh, Jules Dessan. Right. And I do. I think a lot of this is still the repercussions. Like the people who made the decision to blacklist them may not be alive, but they're the, the people who work for them. Mm-hmm. are and the people who work for them are alive and you look up and it's 2019 and you and I are sitting on a podcast going it doesn't seem like they get the acclaim they should get yeah and it happens enough that I just think that this is still lingering has there ever been uh any type of um biopic of Paul Robeson not that I know of I mean, not, not that I know. Of. I mean, that's that's a life that's. I mean, oh my God, it's like wow, man. Yeah. The stories, yeah. I mean, you can just go on the stories of the making of this movie, I, right? You know, right? Where he is in this world. I mean, you know, and you know, he crisscrosses with with our patron. Oh, Oscar, Oscar Michelle. Michelle so, yeah. So yeah. That's a shame. That's a shame. Yeah, this is a, that, 
But this this is a great movie. It's a great this 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 is a great movie, and I have to say I am I am proud that we've done this movie now. Like I'm I'm proud that that people can look at the archives and see that we've talked about the Emperor Jones. And I think because everybody is working at the height of their intelligence, that's the reason why this movie from 1933 still holds up. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. It's. Still holds up. Absolutely. So I wholeheartedly recommend that you see the Emperor Jones, ladies and gentlemen. It's available. Go on YouTube. Yeah, absolutely. All things right there. I'm, I'm, I say it periodically. I think this is required viewing. Yes. I think this is required viewing. It really is. All right. All right. All right. Before we get into what we're going to be doing next week ladies and gentlemen we invite you all to send us your emails and and feedback you can email us at mission at gmail.com you can also like and follow us on instagram twitter and facebook at mission. join the Misho mission facebook group where we have as you can see a whole lot of fun conversations be going on in there um if you like our show and you want to help us out, the best way you can help us out on the podcatcher of your choice, especially if it's Apple Podcasts, leave us a ranking and a rating to let us know how we're doing and and tell us what you think of our show. That helps people find our little show, just like the five-star review that we got from Black Gator Girl. Thanks, Black Gator Girl. My new favorite podcast, Binge Worthy. So thank you for that. We really appreciate that. We really do. Um, the Michelle Mission is available as in an edited form as a radio show every Saturday at 1 p.m. on WPPM. People Power Media, Philly Cam, 106.5 FM in the city of brotherly love and sisterly affection. And you can wake up every Monday morning with me, Show Mission, at 9 a.m. on 91.7 FM WKDU, the voice of Drexel University. The Me Show Mission is also a proud member of the Podglomerate Podcast Network, the Podglomerate curated podcast just for your listening pleasure go check them out and all that they have to offer you you will not be disappointed trust me okay vince okay episode 173 is in the can yes it is so now we're on to episode 174 the penultimate episode before we begin our countdown to 200. The penultimate episode before we begin our countdown to 200. I suspect I know where you're going for episode 175. Hmm. However, I'm going to keep going. Emperor Jones is 1933? Yes. I'm going to 1930. Oh! Little film directed by Kenneth McPherson mm. out of Switzerland. It's a silent film, English subtitles. 1930 is a silent film? Okay. Noted for its handling of the contentious issue of interracial relationships. Ooh. Used avant-garde experimental film techniques. Stars Hilda Doolittle as Landa Robeson. And yes, once again, Paul Robeson. Mm. 
1930s Borderline. Oh, I have not heard of this film. I've never heard of this film. Neither have I. <laughs> but I wanted to stay here, and I'm deliberately hopscotching around somebody because I suspect I know where you're going for 175. <laughs> so I don't want to step on your, I didn't, I didn't want to cut your spade, as they say. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. As someone who, who never mastered the game, I do. Really? I, no, I never did. I'm a 500 guy. I never, I never mastered spades. I know, I know, I know. I don't even have to say anything to you. I know, because you, you've been shamed enough. <laughs> I know. A black man your age that doesn't know how to play spades. There's plenty of people that I don't know, play spades. I know you've heard it. I have. Yeah, but, I was about to say, don't act like. Uh, <laughs> but there's plenty of people that don't play spades. Yes, there. I want to hear from the missionaries that don't play spades. I bet there's a ton of them that don't play spades. Uh-huh. All right. You know, I mean, like, look, look it's spades. I've watched it played. It's okay. You're very sensitive right now. Because, because this. it's not. Like, because I feel like this has come up. Because you spades player make it see? seem like it's the the, the very, best game you're, you're ever. You're very sensitive right now. You, it's not it's, that it's, great it's a game. Like, hey, okay. All right. It's easy. not. Uh, I think you doth protest too much. I mean, what are you talk about? Give me some phase 10 any day. Yeah, sorry. You know about phase 10? I have no idea what you're yeah, talking about. There you go. Yeah, there you huh. go. Yeah. I bet there's more phase 10 players than spades players. I don't think there Probably is. Not. Yeah. But that's not the point. That's not the point, though. The point is next week, <laughs> we're going to be watching going Borderline, to borderline <laughs> with Paul Robeson, and we're going to get you some therapy <laughs> about your relationship. With the card game Spades, which is not that important at all and is not a reflection of your blackness or your manhood. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. You're not with me because you were just two seconds ago willing to throw shame I'm on me. I'm not throwing shame. I said you felt it. This is a safe space. Now, you can never be my partner. <laughs> No, well, no, obviously. All right, but I'm just saying. Who was your partner? Because every everybody has a dedicated partner. I have had three real partners. My boy Dre, the, who's now an economist, was is my was my partner all through school. Okay, and 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 he he, he I think he's actually a mathematical genius. So he was good with the books and the cards and and knowing what was played and whatever. My wife is actually a magnificent spades player. Okay, so that's your partner now. Yeah, that's my partner now. And 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 that's the way it should be. Well I'm, well unless you won that good. No, no, well, no. That's but, okay, that's true. And you know, we're gonna not gonna get too deep into it, but we have embarrassed people. Like we Oh, I could imagine. Yeah, me and Wendy have made people damn near wanna leave. Well, I mean because they take us for bad. Uh, all right. Uh-huh. They think you're bad? No, they think we're not gonna be good players. Really? Yeah, oh yeah, they take us for bad. It's like, all right, you about to get embarrassed in front of your people right now, and then they get embarrassed, and so, and then my nephew, who I've actually raised up as a player, like like I used to play, used to be his little partner when he was like nine and ten, and now he's an adult, mm-hmm. and he's a good player. But those have been my 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 partners throughout my tenure okay. as a player. But you asked, I did. All right. <laughs> it wouldn't be the Michelle Mission if we didn't have a tangent. It wouldn't be the Michelle Mission so, if we didn't have a tangent. You're welcome. 
He's Vince. I'm Len. In parting, we say, we'll see you when it's time to meet again. It's time to bid adieu. It's been a pleasure knowing you. I'll see you when it's time to meet again. <laughs>